Kilda, g'day and welcome to the history of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Episode 110, Terrifying Terrific Tanifa. This podcast is recorded in Te Whanganui Atara, on the rohe of Muaupoko, Taranaki Whanui, Te Atiawa and Ngāti Toa Rangatira. We are generously supported by our amazing patrons. If you want to support Hans, go to patreon.com slash history Aotearoa. Today is going to be a discussion on a topic that is related to episode 109, but didn't exactly fit with the tone. When I did a short Te Reo course a couple of years ago, the teacher explained the concept of tapu and noa as not just a sacred or supernatural thing, but also the idea of dealing with heavy topics or being in a formal setting and then needing to transfer to the light-hearted and informal. The best way I can describe it is like a funeral. You have the actual funeral itself, where everyone mourns over the casket. There might be singing, speeches, and at least for Christian funerals, it's all very rigid and prepared. Whereas the wake afterwards, you shed the heavy weight of the funeral and mourning, and share funny stories, get drunk, eat some food, maybe make a fool of yourself, and generally just have a good time, as the deceased hopefully would have wanted. The reason I'm telling you this is because since an episode all about death and the soul is a difficult one, I think it should be followed by something a bit more fun to help us shed the tapu and allow us to return to the world feeling a bit more energised rather than depressed. So, as you might guess from the title, this is going to be a fun, kinda spooky talk about Tanifa fairies, and other creatures of Māori folklore. In the previous episode, we talked about the wairua and its journey into the underworld after it has shed its mortal coil. Generally speaking, most wairua would remain in Rarohenga, or in the heavens. But that wasn't true for everyone. There was an opportunity to return to the realm of the living. Sometimes this was instigated by someone on the material plane, such as if a tohunga called up their ancestor for help or advice. Other times it may have been the wairua returning of their own accord, either to warn their descendant of danger, or to become an animal, tree, or even tanifa. However, if the wairua returned in its true form, the form of the human it once was, rather than an animal or plant, then they would become a kehua. A kehua is a physical manifestation of someone's wairua that hangs around the material plane, most often where they tended to hang out in life. In other words, a ghost. These were apparently able to be made visible via whistling, which is also part of why Māori didn't like whistling. Kehua were seen as the wairua returning from the spirit world, and were almost like a corrupted evolution of the wairua, given it isn't meant to physically come back to the mortal realm. 
As with Western ghosts, Kehua tended to be more active at night, with some night travellers carrying cooked food to ward them off, since Kehua, being a type of wairua, were tapu. People who had died violent deaths were more likely to become kehua, unless the proper karakia were spoken over their body to help them on their way to the spirit realm. Why kehua were so feared, best doesn't say, but ghosts are just inherently pretty scary, so perhaps there doesn't need to be a bigger reason than that. Entities returning from the spirit world weren't the only things lurking in the wilderness. There were strange, supernatural beings that stole people away into the bush, never to be seen again. These were the Patupayarehe. Living in the deepest bush and at the tops of mountains, they had pa made of vines that they almost always stayed within only leaving on rainy or misty days so that they weren't seen. As such, seeing them was generally thought to be pretty bad. Often described as fairy people, they were said to have fair skin, long red hair, wore white clothes, and were not tattooed anywhere on their body. All of which, of course, was unusual in Māori society. They were different otherworldly and alien. Patupairehe mothers would hold their babies in their arms rather than on their hips, which, again, Māori thought was very weird. They ate any foraged plants or fish raw, and sometimes Māori would leave fish out for them near awa so that they didn't scare the fish in the river away. Patupairehe actually had a few different names, or perhaps subgroups, depending on how you look at it. Turehu is one we have heard before, as well as Ponaturi, sea fairies. Tafaki burnt down their house in episode 98. There is also Porotai, stone people, and Maido, ferocious forest people. They weren't exactly like Patupairehe, but they were very similar. Patupairehe are probably most well known for the fact that they play the kowowo and pūtorino when they're out and about. As such, the ghostly sounds of the flutes can be heard during misty days. Very spooky. The music was said to be like a siren song for some young women, who would follow it to the Patupairehe's pa, despite warnings not to. People with light hair were said to be born of a Patupairehe father, so it seems that perhaps some of these women did return. However, it did depend slightly on where you lived. In Te Uruwera, the Patupairehe there were said to be fairly peaceful, but in most other places they were more malevolent. The men would snatch and steal human women, with the ladies seducing and luring human men away. Usually, people abducted by them didn't return, and were said to live in a, quote, dazed condition among their supernatural captors, end quote. Patupairehe along the Whanganui River were said to gather in the Kumara fields to have a kōrero. 
Though they didn't destroy the crops, they would sometimes enter houses of humans and use magic to put the people into a coma. To revive them, they would need to be taken outside and have water thrown on them. Just to really drive home the fact that these are a mysterious people that are difficult to find, Patu Paerehe also sometimes went invisible, in which case only Matakite could see them. There does seem to be a bit of blurriness, or perhaps Europeans getting things mixed up, as you will sometimes see Shortland or Best use these names to refer to visible, malevolent Waidua. For example, they said Patupayerehe were, quote, those foredoomed to death, vague forms seen on hills and sea coast, ere long news of the fight will arrive, end quote. In contrast, Turehu were said to be permanently tied to certain areas, rather than heading to the spirit world. They would often be seen dancing, singing, and generally making merry. However, they were also a portent of, quote, dire misfortune, end quote. So, it's unclear if these names could refer to multiple different types of entities, or whether there was a bit of a mix-up in European understanding, or possibly both. Despite these theories being hard to find and extremely dangerous, there were some defences against them, so that you didn't find yourself dazed and confused in a treetop par for the rest of your life. The first was cooked food, and the other was kokowai, the red okra that was used as paint and considered tapu. I'm unsure why the kokowai was used. Tapu combating tapu doesn't make much sense from everything else we know. But the cooked food is something we have seen lots before, since it is noa and cancels out the patu paerehe being tapu. Additionally, kai was used because tapu beings like fairies or wairua didn't eat cooked food. They only ate it raw, due to its gnaw properties, so that made it a good deterrent. If those were too hard to get a hold of, then Patu Paerehe normally avoided sunlight. So, as long as you survived until morning, you would generally be safe. This really evokes some survival horror stuff, where you're tucked under a tree in the bush, trying to avoid being caught in the darkness of the night, hearing the kowowo hauntingly off in the distance as the pale-skinned people seek you out. Patupayarehe weren't always trying to snatch people, though. They did do some building. There are a few natural features that were said to be of their make. Te Tokaroa Miola Reef is a lava flow near Point Chevalier in modern Auckland that extends for about two kilometres into Waitemata Harbour. Ngāti Whātua says it was created by Patu Paerehe who wanted to get to the other side, so they worked to make a crossing during the night. However, when dawn came, they still weren't finished, so they had to abandon it. A similar group were Tetini or Tekakuturi, who were kinda like the classical elves or fairies of Europe. 
they were guardians of the forests and worked under Tane Mahuta to punish those who violated his tapu. They appear in a few stories related to felling trees and carving. Maidor were another fairy or elf-like woodland creature. A.W. Reed says that although it's said they lived in both the North and South Islands, belief in them was more prevalent in Te Waiponamu. Quote, where the dense rainforests, the great mountains and river gorges, encouraged belief in the wild people of the forest. While the softer contours of the mountains of Waikato, Rotorua and Coromandel were the home of the somewhat more civilised, though equally dangerous, Patupairehe. End quote. So it's possible that Mairo were the South Island equivalent of their northern brethren, and the more craggy landscape of the South inspired different ideas in what they were like. Namely, that they were far more hostile. Another theory is that it relates to the South Island iwi Katimamoi, who were mostly absorbed by Kaitahu or driven into the more remote regions of the island. So the concept is possibly derived from the fringe communities of Katimamoi living in the dense bush and high in the southern Alps, perhaps making small raids into the lands of Kaitahu. Maido were said to be quite a hairy group of people, with long fingernails that they used to spear birds and fish. They were also possibly quite clumsy in their movements, according to a story where some were captured by Māori. A subspecies of these, Maero ero repuwai, were said to be tall and very good flute players. There are even some geographical features named after them, such as the mountains south of Lake Wakatipu, which are called Napuki Mairo Edo in Tereo, meaning the hills of the Mairo Edo. We of course can't have a spooky episode without mentioning the top spookster himself, Fedor, who commanded the demon armies of Rarohenga. These demons were often sent to the mortal realm to inflict disease on humans. Sometimes because Fedor wants to get revenge on his brothers, and sometimes because a human called upon it through Makatu. Although Tipua is usually translated as demon, or sometimes goblin, it can also be used to refer to the Māori version of ogres and witches. Tipua can also mean enchanted when used as an adjective, such as a rako tipua, an enchanted weapon. These were usually said to be enchanted by way of a wairua of a dead person entering the object. Some of these items were deliberately enchanted by humans, but sometimes it was something else entirely that caused it to happen. Reed gives the example of if some people were carrying an important person's body and laid it under a tree while they rested, the wairua, or perhaps a part of it, may attach itself to the tree. A body that was washed in a stream would have a similar effect. Although Māori didn't worship objects like this, they were placated and given offerings in the same way that they did for the Big Six or family atua. 
These gifts would usually be green offerings, so branches of a living tree or fresh leaves, usually being made by travellers for protection. It was very important to make an offering the first time the object was passed, but often it was done every time, and as such, it wasn't uncommon to see the trees or plants around the object be stripped of their foliage. Going back to Tipua, it isn't exactly fair to translate that word into ogre and witch. Those aren't really the right terms to use, as what you probably have in mind isn't the same as what Māori back then would think, but they're the closest thing we have in English. It is also good to remember that Māori may have regarded them as atua, kaitiaki, and tūpuna as well. Most of the stories about ogres and witches are about women, usually who were wicked and did foul deeds. Their male counterparts don't seem to have featured as much. Reed suggests that this is because, quote, there is something deeply disturbing in the idea of mothers and grandmothers, usually the nurturers within society, biting off children's heads and running people through with their fingernails, end quote. No argument there. So an ogre isn't exactly an ogre like Shrek. Their true nature might not even be known to their closest family until they need to reveal themselves. A lot of the stories about these characters were told in the house at night, so they were kind of meant to be like spooky ghost stories you tell at camp. Giants were also in Māori folklore, and were more or less the same as western giants. They could range from being just really tall people at nine feet to the size where they could move mountains. Some of these are possibly just over-exaggerations of the height of real people, such as Kiharoa of Nati Rokawa and Nati Fakateri, quote, who was said to be twice the height of an ordinary man, end quote. When he was killed and a hungi made to cook him, it was so large that it was named the Giant's Grave, which I think is badass. There were said to be giants in Marlborough called Rapuwai prior to the arrival of Kupe. They were apparently slow and clumsy, but skilled in the arts of war, quote, crushing their enemies in their strong arms, end quote. As such, there are many stories of giants doing great or terrible deeds. The Māori supernatural creature that you are likely most familiar with, though, is the Tanifa. These are generally fishy or reptilian creatures, though sometimes they could be whale-like, who live in rivers, deep lakes, or the sea. Though there are some stories of Tanifa living on land, under rocks or mountains, or even ones that could fly. The ones that live in water are often described as looking like crocodiles, eels, lizards, or some combination of all of them. Generally described as being quite large, monstrously large even, their temperaments range anywhere from being harmless unless disturbed or tapu is broken, all the way to being openly hostile. 
Some were a kaitiaki of their habitat or of a hapu, and as such should be shown the proper respect. Tanifa that lived in the sea were known to be quite helpful, rescuing people who had their waka capsize, escorting waka through dangerous waters, or even carrying people on their backs, though that was usually whales. Many were quite malicious towards humans though, and they were known to eat people, but they could be placated with offerings if needed, since they were seen as atua in their own right despite the travel advisory to avoid them. In this vein, all Tanifa were descended from Tane Mahuta, the first being his grandson slash nephew, due to some good old-fashioned incest. However, there are a few Tanifa that don't belong to this lineage, because some humans did turn into Tanifa, so they are regarded as kaitiaki and tipuna to various iwi. In one instance, in Kafia on the bank of a river, a man turned himself into a tanifa made of stone, and women would pray to him to help them conceive. In some cases, the death of a guardian tanifa was the cause for war, or rather, there was a war and the death of a guardian tanifa is later how the story was recounted. Naturally, creatures as large and powerful as Tanifa play a big role in legends and how Māori viewed the world around them. A lot of stories of how natural features in the landscape were formed involve Tanifa carving them out, such as the Wellington Harbour. Next time, we move on from our discussions about religion slightly to something we mentioned a couple of episodes back. Aotearoa is full of wonderful plants that have a plethora of medicinal properties. What are they? Did Māori make use of them? Find out soon. If you want to send me feedback, ask a question, suggest a topic, or just have a chinwag, you can find my email and social media on historyaltero.com. Aotearoa spelt A-O-T-E-A-R-O-A. You can also find helpful resources there, like transcripts, sources, and translations for some of the te reo Māori we have used. You can help support Hans through Patreon, buying merch, or giving us a review. It means a lot and helps spread the story of Aotearoa New Zealand. As always, haere tu atu, oki tu mai. See you next time. <laughs>